to look at Jesus and hear from Jesus and see that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus uses some images. He even in the in in the face of miracles, he 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 shows us that he is a little. Um, he shows us that he is has a healthy suspicion. Let's say of our trust in miracles, and then he uses images, and I'm going to show you all three different passages, images that point us back to some kind of just. If you think about it, points us right back to regular life. But ultimately, what Jesus wants us to be connected to is not miracles, big showy stuff. But ultimately, what Jesus wants us to be connected to is him. His life. His character. His way of doing things. And so... um, we will uh, begin to look at these passages here. I'm going to turn you, your attention to John chapter number two. Um, I have these passages up. If Brother Will or Brother Michael will bring them up. But John chapter number two, verse number 23 through 25. I'll give you all some context here. John chapter two starts out with Jesus turning water into wine. He did this. This was his first miracle that John testifies of. There's actually seven miracles that John gives us um, throughout his gospel. He starts numbering them. He goes, this is the first one. This is the second one. Then he stops numbering them. But it was kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Keep paying attention. Keep count. And, uh, and, and scholars have gone through. And there's, there's, there's seven miracles that he does um, that culminates in the resurrection of Lazarus. And then whenever Jesus is raised, that would be miracle number eight, if you will. But it also is like the start of the new day. It's the start of the new creation, right? And so, um, and so John, he starts out his gospel saying in the beginning, and he's kind of getting our minds to Genesis chapter number one, verse number one. Hey, whenever God first created this world, now there's this new creation that started in Jesus. It's a pretty cool thematic thing that goes throughout the gospel of John. But in John chapter number two, Jesus uh, turns water wine. Uh, They're in Cana, uh, Galilee. They go to Capernaum. They uh, spend some time there. Then he and his disciples, they travel down to uh, Jerusalem or travel up to Jerusalem, if you will. Um, And they are there for the Passover. And it says that uh, while they are there, that's uh, in John's gospel, Jesus uh, cleanses the temple. That's whenever he drives out all the money changers and, and, uh, and, and he cleanses the temple. That, that story happens in John chapter number two. In verse number 23, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, Many believed in his name. That's the, uh, the, the, the Greek word, uh, pistuo, is uh, the same word that we would get faith or trust. Any, any of those words uh, are, are all synonyms, right? Um, but it says, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not, and the King James Version says, commit himself unto them. But the word there for commit is the same word for believe that we just saw. It's the same Greek word. It's pistuo. It means that while they trusted in him because of the miracles that he did, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all men. And then it says, and he did not need that any would testify or tell him about mankind, for he knew what was in man. 
They believed on him because of the miracles. And Jesus had a healthy suspicion (laughs) of them trusting in him because of the miracles. Jesus doesn't need to know what goes on in our hearts and minds. He, He gets it. What's interesting about that statement is uh, there is uh, a Hebrew wisdom statement that there are seven things that, that, um, that man cannot know. And one of those seven things is what is in the heart of his neighbor. All right. Think about uh, in um, the story of David, whenever David was being anointed king, there's this line that comes out and it says, uh, he says to uh, Samuel, the prophet who is, who is looking for the king, he says, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Jesus doesn't need to know what's going on in our hearts because he knows. Why does he know? Because he's God. He doesn't need to know what's going on in our hearts Nobody needs to tell him he knows. And so here's what he knows about us. He knows that you and I get attracted to the big showy stuff in life. The glitz, the glamour. You and I, you and I can, when we see Jesus doing big things, we go, Jesus, I want you to only do big things. Or Jesus, I need you to do big things so that I can trust you. Jesus, if you don't do big things, how can I trust you? Have you ever felt that way? Do we see that this is a prevalent thing in this world that we live in. I mean, if God is good and if he is all-powerful and if he knows everything, then why does Uvalde happen? Right? Jesus knows what's in our heart. What's interesting about John chapter number two, verse number 23, is this is kind of a segue statement. It's leading us away from what has just been said and into what is about to be said. And what happens next is this man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And you know, many people will know this story. Nicodemus was this Pharisee. He's this expert teacher. Uh, and, and he's a teacher and interpreter of the uh, Mosaic law. And, um, and so he is a brilliant man. And he comes to Jesus, he comes to him at night, um, and, and there's different reasons for that. Maybe he doesn't want anybody to know that he's associating with Jesus. Maybe he comes to him at night because uh, he just, he knows that Jesus, this might be the only time that he gets to talk to Jesus, you know, but he, he comes to him at night. It's a detail that's in there, and so people go, ooh, why is that detail in there? And we don't know, but there's some, some suppositions there that we can, we can explore, but here's what happens. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and in uh, John chapter number three, it says, Uh, that he comes to him and he says, Nicodemus says to Jesus, he calls him rabbi, which is a name for a, a Jewish or Hebrew teacher. He says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou dost except God be with him. 
We know you are from God because you do these miracles. Jesus' response to Nicodemus is this. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a weird way to respond to Nicodemus, I think. Nicodemus is like, hey, we know that you came from God because nobody could do the miracles that you're doing unless he comes from God. And Jesus takes a step back and he goes, okay, hey, listen, we've got to deal with some real issue here, though, Nicodemus. You will not see the kingdom because you saw all my miracles. You will not see the kingdom unless you are born again. And then he goes on to express that he's not talking about any of us becoming embryos all over again, right? He's not talking about a physical rebirth. He's talking about a, a, a rebirth of our, of our mind, a rebirth of our heart. It's a spiritual rebirth that he is describing here. And here's what I want us to see as we think about this. And there's so much that we can go on with this. But, but the simple thing that I want us to see is what Jesus ties him back to is somebody growing up in life. Somebody being Born, fresh, new, has to grow up from infancy to toddler, from eating uh, 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 liquids to solids, right? From crawling to walking. And it's all this stuff that in some ways is very, very miraculous. It's awe-inspiring. But what I want us to see also is it's also just what happens. It's just what happens in life. It, whenever it doesn't happen, whenever a baby doesn't grow, whenever a baby's brain doesn't, uh, doesn't mature, whenever a, a, a child doesn't begin to walk or doesn't begin to see or doesn't begin to hear, that's whenever you know that something is out of the ordinary. But the ordinary, regular routine of life is that babies are born and they grow and they mature. And it doesn't all happen at once. And it doesn't all happen in major leaps and bounds. What it happens, how it happens is it just moment by moment, bit by bit, development stacks up. Brittany and I celebrated 14 years of marriage. We looked back and we started saying, man, what happened in year one? And then we got to like year like five and we're like, I don't even know what happened in year five. Well, no, did we? No, we knew one thing. Oliver was born in year five. I think that was about the only thing that we knew that happened in year five. And then it was like, you know, and some of y'all have been married because like I said, you have a couple more years on me. Some of y'all have been married longer than that. And y'all have done these things. And you look back and you go, man, I can't imagine. Like, how did we get there? And how you got there was moment by moment, step by step, day by day. How, how, how we lasted 14 years and in marriage, it was, it was not these big romantic gestures. Uh, I can promise you because I am the worst at big romantic gestures, right? I am not that guy. But I can tell you this, it was us being faithful to each other each and every day. And Jesus is talking about being born again, and he says, be born again by the Spirit. So this is not just you know, turning over a new leaf or, or having some, so, some new understanding out of, out, of, out of nothing. It's having new understanding from him. It's being born of not just a Spirit, but the Spirit of God. 
And here's what I want us to see is when Jesus talks about us being born again, and I want us to connect this image to like, hey, just think about a baby being born. It's something miraculous, but it also leads into the very regular, the very routine, the very mundane, if you will. But that baby has to be nourished. It has to be fed and it has to uh, be developed through through food, through instruction from parents. When Jesus says, I want you to be born in the spirit, he's saying, I don't want you just to see the miracles that I'm doing. I want you to be connected to me. The next scene, you know, I'll go a little bit quicker from this one. The next scene is John chapter number six. John chapter number six, another big moment in Jesus' life. He feeds 5,000 people. Miraculously, he feeds 5,000 people. They don't have enough food to go around, so he just prays, and he says, God, bless this little amount that we have, and they begin to distribute it, and it feeds 5,000 people plus people. All they counted were the men um, at, the, at that moment. So a lot of the times it will say 5,000 men plus women and children, right? And so, so it was uh, some, some large number of people that he feeds miraculously. And what happens is after he feeds the 5,000, he and his disciples, they go across the Sea of Galilee. And in the morning, whenever the people wake up the next morning, they wake up to find that Jesus and his disciples are not there. And so they all go to great lengths to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Some of them get in boats and they start rowing over to the Sea of Galilee. Some of them uh, run around uh, this, you know, by foot, they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They do a lot of work, a lot of a lot of diligent, hard labor to get to Jesus. And whenever they get to Jesus, this is what Jesus says. Verse number 26, they came to Jesus and actually they said, Rabbi, they said, when did you come over here? We didn't see you leave. When did you come over here? And Jesus answers them in verse number 26. He says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Look, you, you didn't see the miracles and then know that I am the divine son of God. I am your liberating king. I am the one who can rescue you. What you did was you saw the miracles and you got your belly filled. And so you worked hard to get back over here to me. Not to be connected to me, but to get your belly filled. And then Jesus says, you should not work or you labor not for the meat that perisheth. Like you worked so hard to get another meal. And guess what? If you, if you worked that hard to get over here so you can possibly get another meal, what's going to happen to that meal? You're going to digest it, right? It's going to be gone. And you're going to need another meal. He says, don't work so hard for that meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. And this is the food that the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. So don't work hard for just bread that you can eat today and it will be gone tomorrow. 
Work hard for the food that the Son of Man or the Son of God could give you. They naturally said, as most of y'all are thinking, uh, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So what does this work look like that we can get this food? Jesus said, this is the work. You believe on him whom he has sent. talked last week about how like nature reveals that God's grace is in this world. Like the sun doesn't only come up on good people, right? The sun comes up on every one of us. The sun doesn't only come up on you whenever you've done everything right. You know, a lot of times like we look around in life and if something's going bad, we go, oh no, what did I do? Where people look at you and go, oh, what did you do? You know what? You might not have done anything. But God's grace is there for everyone. It's on offer for everyone. And here's the deal. They went to great lengths to go find Jesus so that they might get another meal. And Jesus said, don't go to such great lengths to get a meal. But you should work so that you can be fed by me. Well, how do we do that? What works do we need to do? This is, again, one of those things. Not only do we expect God to do big things, we think that God wants us to do some radical stuff too. What do I need to do so that I can get something from you, Jesus? What does Jesus say? You gotta believe in me. You gotta trust in me. Don't trust that I can fill your belly. Man, filling your belly, that's... A, that's it's nothing, it's fleeting. But trust that I can feed your spirit. And here's what I want us to see. They, they ask, where's this bread that you're talking about? Jesus says, I'm the bread. My body, my flesh is the bread. My blood is the wine. And again, he goes right back down to this normal everyday thing that you and I do, you and I eat. And some of us think about food more than others, right or wrong. And some of us, we do it because we love the taste, the texture, the flavors of food. We love, my, my, my wife loves that stuff. She has such a great palate and she can cook some really wonderful meals and, um, and I'm, I'm like love every aspect of that. Often, I can only cook breakfast, right? I'm like a guy. Guys, all every man knows how to cook a fried egg and bacon and, and be like, I made something for you. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, we all can do that, right? Um, but, um, but a lot of times whenever I think about eating, it's like, man, it's just, sometimes it has to just be fuel. I just need something in my belly. It's just something ordinary. It's just something so that I can get the nutrition I need to keep going. Eating is just something that we all do. It's something that we must do. And sometimes we make an event out of it, but often there's not really much of an event to it. 
And even whenever we do make an event out of it, you got to think, we're going to be right back at it in a few hours. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, you just believe in me. So what should we be doing? What should we be eating? You should be eating me. That's a weird way to say it. They had some issues with Jesus saying it. In fact, in John 6, 6, 6, it says that many of his disciples stopped following him after this message. It was hard for them to understand that all Jesus wanted them to do was become more like him. It was hard for them to understand that Jesus wasn't saying, hey, here's the 10 rituals that you do so that you can get into heaven. It was hard for them to understand that Jesus was saying, hey, I'm coming to show you a life that you can live each and every day. And little by little, you can be shaped and formed and conformed more into my image. It was hard for them to see that because you and I think that God wants big stuff out of us. And so you and I are willing to, well, I'll I'll, I'll sacrifice some, some moments in my life. But what God wants is God wants us to be connected to his son. What God wants is us to be paying attention to Jesus. What God wants is us to be taking on the character of Jesus each and every day. What God wants is not for you and I to go do these big, bold, daring things so that we can impress anybody. What God wants is us to love people just the way that we were created to love people with justice and equity and impartially. The last image that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John that I'm going to pay attention to is uh, John chapter number 15. And this is, of course, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me. Well, let me just read it because if I start trying to quote it, I'll mess it up. And then y'all will think I'm a hack. So I am the true vine. My father is the husband. Men. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it so that it may bring forth more fruit. Or he prunes it so it can bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And then Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. And we'll pause there, but he continues on. But uh, the image here, again, is a very um, just earthy, rooted image of just being connected to the vine. And if you think about being connected to the vine, uh, if you've ever planted something, it, it takes time and it's a process. And, and it requires like some, 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 some sun every day and it requires some watering every day and it requires just, just some cultivation of the ground every day. It requires maybe keeping some pest away, right? But, 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 but this, this work is just kind of a slow, steady progress. And in fact, a lot of the work you can't even see happening. But then Jesus says that you will bear fruit. Now, I don't know how you interpret bear fruit, but I think often whenever our growing up in any evangelical uh, church, uh, we always think about bearing fruit as you're going to go win souls. And that can be part of it. 
But it seems to me when we read Jesus talking about his disciples bearing fruit, the first order of business would be that his disciples are taking on the character and the qualities of the vine. And so I think about the fruit that Paul talks about in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, kindness, meekness, temperance, or self-control. And Jesus says, you, you're connected to me, and I want your life to bear this sort of fruit. And here's what I would encourage us with today is a, a couple things. For one, this is what God wants of us. What he wants you to be is more like Jesus each and every day. And being more like Jesus doesn't mean you go walk on water. That would be really, really cool, wouldn't it, though? But being more like Jesus is that you are patient in the midst of hostility and adversity. Being like Jesus means that whenever you are stressed and you are anxious, that you do not take your stress and anxiety and use that as an excuse to be rude and nasty to other people or to be short with other people. I'm not talking about anybody sitting on the second row over there, all right? <laughs> Do you hate me right now? My, I'm in big trouble. 14 years down the drain, right there. <laughs> Being like Jesus means that whenever you do the, the small things, and this is me pointing a finger at myself, here's what I do, all right? This is not like Jesus. I wake up and I... I go to my workout and I come home and I make the boys um, breakfast and I get them to school and, uh, and, and I try to clean up my, my mess before I leave and I feel so proud of myself. And look what I did and I accomplished. And then whenever my wife comes in and she says, hey, um, you didn't do this one thing. I go, well, did you see all the other things that I did? That's not like Jesus right? Not at all. In fact, one of the challenges that I have in my life is being more like Jesus is whenever people accuse me or condemn me or question me or challenge me instead of me going, well, let me whine about it and be blow up about it. Being like Jesus means that I can patiently endure that because Jesus was questioned and challenged and accused. And he did that without, well, I know you are, but what am I? So here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. You have to be connected to Jesus. You have to be born again by the Spirit. You have to be nourished by His, by His, 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 His body and His blood. You have to be, you have to be, you have to be uh, getting your life source from the vine. Well, how do you go about doing that? I bet, I bet that requires some real major work on your part, right? No, no. You commit your life to trusting Jesus, trusting in who he is, to trusting what he's done and what that means, what it looks like to commit your life to trusting Jesus 
If you go, hey, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that's not you just going, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth. You can't stamp your foot hard enough and scream it loud enough. No, how you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is you start paying attention to his life and his character, and you start going, oh, I'm going to study him. I'm going to follow him. What he does, I'm going to try to do. What if he teaches, I'm going to try to apply to my life. That is how you practically believe that Jesus is the truth. You don't go to him just to get your belly full. You go to him because you go, hey, look, I don't know the way here. I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle this life myself so i'm looking to you as my wisdom as my authority as my teacher as my guide as my sovereign ruler of my life i'm i'm not in ruling authority of my life anymore you are jesus now i will recommend this that doing that might require some routines and rhythms some disciplines in your life. It would be a good discipline for you to wake up every morning and maybe even just quote what, what Scott McKnight says is the Jesus Creed. Hey, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. What am I supposed to do today? I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. I'm supposed to love others like Christ loved me. Those are my marching orders for the day. Amen? And maybe you quote that and you go to God in prayer and you say, God, I need you to help me do this. You start out your day with some, maybe even just a simple prayer like that. You don't have to spend an hour and a half in prayer, although you can spend an hour and a half in prayer. Maybe each and every day you, 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 you open up the gospels and you start reading about the life of Jesus. And again, you don't have to read, you know, five, Jesus isn't saying five chapters or you didn't do enough today. What if you just read one story, one paragraph? And you take that and you say, God, I, I, I want to I meditate on what Jesus did in his life today. Uh, th- those are some daily routines, daily disciplines that you can do. You can read your Bible and you can pray every day, right? And you'll grow, grow, grow. Um, you also have uh, some, some, some disciplines in which, you know, as a church, we gather. It's a good it's a good routine discipline for us to gather together, fellowship with one another. You might find that you, you need to have a, as a disciplined habit that you serve outside of your home, uh, maybe through the church or, 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 or as the church, you, you have a time in which you serve, not so that you can check it off the box, but so that you can go, hey, this is a practical way in which I know I am trying to live like Jesus and I am being shaped more into the character of Jesus. It's not a bad thing to have some disciplines. And in fact, if we remember Jesus and God work in this world through some rhythms and routines and regularities. So as we enter back into what some of us might consider the mundane time of life, might we be encouraged? Might we be encouraged that this is time and space in which you you, you, you can stay connected to Jesus and bit by bit, 
bit by bit, uh, as you're connected to the vine, uh, you will bear much fruit. And with that I say, amen. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would help us, uh, Lord, as we uh, think about your son, Jesus, as we think about you. Uh, Lord, might we think about who you are and what we expect out of you, Lord. Uh, Lord, uh, I don't know that we can ex always expect the big miracle, but we can expect you to be faithful to us each and every day. And so, Lord, I pray that we would expect you being faithful each and every day. Uh, Lord, we can always trust that your mercies are going to be new each and every day. Uh, Lord, not only can we think about what we expect of you, what you expect of us, Lord. And Lord, what you expect of us is that, uh, uh, as Paul would say, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto you. And we lay down our lives so that we can take on the life, the character, the way of Jesus, Lord. Uh, God, I pray for us um, who don't have some disciplined ways in which we are uh, following your son, Jesus trusting in your son Jesus, Lord, that you would help us to build some discipline uh, that we can meet with Jesus each and every day. And we can serve like Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would help us to develop those routines in our lives. Lord, if anybody needs help with that, uh, let them ask and we'll help them, Lord. Uh, be with us over these next few moments as we just talk to you about what you're talking to us about, God. Lord, are there ways in which our character is falling short of what it looks like uh, to be a disciple of Jesus? Show us those things. Help us to uh, own them, confess them, repent of them, and to seek you so that we can take on more of your character. I pray these things in Christ's name. I'm going to invite you for just a few moments to um, keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, to uh, be in a posture where you can talk to God about what God's talking to you about. Uh, maybe... Maybe you have this question about like, hey, what it means to trust Jesus and, and, and to, uh, you know, uh, live a life in trust of Jesus. And, um, and maybe you have that question right now and you want to talk to somebody about it. I'll be here if you want to talk to me about what it means to trust Jesus, to receive, you know, God's grace through Jesus. Um, but uh, maybe you, you're just there and you just need to talk to the Lord yourself and, and, uh, and, and whatever he's spoken to you today. Uh, maybe you need to pray with somebody else. And again, if you need to pray with somebody, I'm here. Or maybe you just grab somebody right next to you and pray with them. But uh, let's just take the next few minutes and just uh, talk to our Lord about what he's talking to us about.